on today's podcast. AJ Preller is the new Padres general manager. Reimer Liriano gets a call up. And we answer questions from listeners in the mailbag segment. This is the August 12th, 2014 edition of the Guintelligence Podcast. Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, here as always with the venerable Padres Jagoff. Yes, hello. I'm ready for some podcasting. Now, before we get into the biggest news, cutting Jeff Francoeur, let's oh, jump... It's a sad day in Padres history. It's, I feel the same way I felt when they lost Hiram Boca Chica a few years ago. It's just a day that us Francoerophiles are never going to forget. Yeah, Uh I have an ode to Frank Chlorophylls in another post coming up, so I'm not going to let this die. And it shouldn't. His memory will live on in all of us. For sure. I'm just glad I don't have to name my child Frank Cor Marver. He didn't hit a cycle <laughs> in those three games after I made that statement, so dodged a bullet. I, I think it'd be fair to say he fell, he fell far short of those expectations. Just, I don't even know if he got any of those base hits after then. Like. Like, if you add up all of his games, I'm not even sure if he got the, what is that, four, seven, ten total bases that he would need for a cycle. I, I don't think he uh, did. He only had two total, but he had two singles, so. Yeah, I, no sweat. Anyways, there was a lot of big news in Padres land this week, obviously. Um, let's get to the biggest one first. The Padres have named the new GM. Not all four of them, like the alternate universe Padres did, but they did sign A.J. Preller, the... A uh, guy out of Texas, deep background in international scouting. Uh, I thought he had a great initial press conference, um, particularly how he stressed uh, how the goal here is to win a World Series. I don't think there's been a Potter's ex- executive to be that explicit about it uh, as long as I can possibly re- like remember ever. And it's been a long complaint of mine, so I was glad to see that. Before I get too into that, though, Potter's Jagoff, why don't you give your impression? Well, I'll start by – and I said it last podcast. I'm in favor of A.J. Preller. I like A.J. Preller. I thought he was the best candidate that they were looking at. Um, I, At the same time, like what you just said about the uh, press conference, uh, I, I remember seeing all over social media. Everyone's real impressed with him. Um, I, I guess, yeah, he said he's going to win a World Series. That's good. No one else has said that. I Honestly, everything I've heard from him is nothing but it's basically stuff you would say on a in a job interview. Like I think he's still in interview mode. He speaks in a lot of platitudes, general generalities. Um, I, I live tweeted the uh, the uh, it was the uh, season ticket holder uh, teleconference with him where he had such notable uh, plans as uh, acquiring more talent because talent will help the team win. Um, he says stuff like, uh, you know, I really wanted to work for this ownership because they really are committed to winning. I don't believe there's a single uh, GM that didn't say that in whatever their intro GM um, interview was. And I don't think he offered anything super substantial as far as his plans. I mean, I think we all assume it's going to be uh, internationally based. He's going to try to, you know, ramp up our Dominican um, pipeline. But, uh, as I'm sitting here now, the only movies made, which I'm in favor of and we'll talk about later, is calling up Reimer Liriano, which in some ways probably um, plays off of his international background as well. 
I, I'm very happy that we have him. Um, I like Josh Burns, but I, I like the, I think we're going to be okay under AJ Preller, assuming management and uh, ownership um, supports him. Um, I just didn't get everyone. I just ex- maybe it's just because th- we need something to explode with happiness for, um, and a new GM gives us that opportunity and gives us hope. But uh, you know, I, I didn't hear anything that really excited me so far. Right. I I guess for me it's it's this. You know, the Padres ownership and front office people for a long time have have been playing up this line of a consistent winner and playing meaningful games in September, and you know those they want to be competitive exactly and so you know that's such a broad you know that's not even a definition of what you're really looking for you know the ultimate goal obviously it's a game you're trying to win a game and winning the game means winning the world series it was just nice to finally hear someone explicitly say it and say it repeatedly and say it was a reason that he wanted to come here it was that we hadn't won one and this is coming from someone who loves to criticize these people for like any minor thing that's what stood out to me most at the at the. Uh, um, I, I know he used that. I liked that line. It was a, it was good PR for him that that's his reason. But I, I don't for a second believe that's the reason he came here. And he came here because oh. there's only 32 GM jobs, and of one course. of them offered him a job. So. Yeah, it's just nice to have that as the stated goal. That said, I did read your live broadcasting of the Padres season ticket holder meeting, and yeah, I mean, adding talent produces a winner i'm glad i'm with an ownership group that is committed to winning i mean is there an ownership group committed to losing like i mean i would hope I not I, mean, I watched major league the other night and i introduced it to my girlfriend for the first time you know that was an ownership committed to losing i don't yes. think there's any ownership like that in baseball like real baseball right yeah i don't think even jeff i believe even jeffrey loria you know wants a winner right and so i guess you know the whole platitude thing's that will be a, a a large feature on this week's Recently in Bullshit. And without giving it too much away, I would just say stay tuned to Wednesday. Oh, that's that's what they call a tease in the business. That is a tease. Uh, you know, one thing, it's a, he, he issued a lot of platitudes, and one reason I'm sensitive to that is because Josh Burns gave the least informative interviews ever. Um, he was very adept at avoiding answering a question with anything substantial. So – you know, my ears are perked for that, and I'm hoping Preller is not like that. We had a, you know, AJ Hinch had his one interview after the street um, trade, and it was just incredibly refreshing to have an honest and straightforward um, executive, you know, interfacing with the public. So I'm hoping Preller has those skills as well. Yeah, and look, I don't expect general managers to go out there in public and tell, you know, their grand scheme plans and everything because. You know, there is value in keeping some information. I just want to see someone that's, you know, speaking in, in nothing is, is one thing, but saying things and then not following through on those, that is a much bigger issue to me because you shape your buying habits based on what they tell you, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if Preller came in and said, yeah, this offseason we're going to sign, you know, top bat X and top pitcher Y in the free agent market, and then they didn't, you know, I think that's grounds for issuing – refunds on season tickets that were granted in the you know in the interim between those the statement and the date that they didn't sign those guys so the fact that he's saying nothing to me is an improvement actually because in the past we've gotten you know spoons full like a spoonful of bullshit here another false statement here another one with you know 19 ifs and and other qualifiers that make it impossible uh to 
prove something is wrong, even though 99% of the statement was wrong. So, look, it's well, breath- we've said that Fowler talks too much. You know, he's the one who was negotiating in public with Headley. Um, and to, to, to some degree, I agree with you. I think it'll be nice to have a GM who hopefully has control of the public interfacing with the public. Um, so Fowler can say less. Uh, and, and I'm with you. You know, you, there's no benefit to him just revealing our, his grand strategy. But, you know, some things happen with the team. You know, you trade Street, a popular player. You need an executive to go interface with the public and kind of explain the thinking. And if you have a guy that just goes up there and talks in cliches and doesn't tell us anything, then that doesn't lead to a satisfied fan base. So I, I want to at least know what was behind the thinking, um, you know, in an unbiased manner that's not being reported by Padres.com. And, and not just that. It's like sometimes there is information that you can get that we just don't get because we have the worst MLB.com beat writer. For example, Preller was suspended, and there was this giant mystery cloud under you know what that suspension was for. He was asked about it at his first press conference. He was asked about it in his interview with Darren Smith, and it went largely unanswered until a blogger, of all people, a San Diego blogger, and this is a hat tip to a vocal minority for, for breaking this over Padres public, although today it appears that there might be another reason he was suspended. But just to go through that effort and do that without, you know, the no, person... his, his investigative work was top notch. The way oh, he I, was digging through like archive, internet I archives. I entirely, entirely agree. I'll give him a butt pat if this was the butt pat segment, but it's not. Um, but you know, the fact that bloggers have to do that, that there's this giant nugget of information that fans were legitimately interested in. And it took the fans themselves to go, at least try to figure it out. I know Baseball America Today, and I'll link to this in the podcast post here so you can click on that. Um, Baseball America Today said it was for a different reason, but regardless, uh, it's Although just... it was basically the same reason that uh, VM David reported on. Uh, it was just a different player, I think. Correct, correct. He had said it was, uh, I think, what was it? I can't even say the guy's name. Gyro Barros. Yeah, so, yeah, and it, and it ended up being Padres property, uh, DePaula. Right, which I guess... So somewhat makes more sense in context now, now that they have that player. But uh, at the same time, big, uh, big butt pat had to, to focal minority for going out of his way and doing that. Yeah, and I still don't know why this is being treated as like a state secret by yeah, baseball and the Padres. Like it's, and if anything, I respect AJ Preller more now that I know it because I want a guy who has a killer instinct who will take the rules to the max, bend them as much as possible um, to better this team. So. Uh, for me, it's a huge plus, and I, I don't know. Sometimes I just don't get the ownership Mike D's strategies, you know, with PR. Right. It's it's a it's refreshing to see, you know, like for example, when we let Jed Hoyer leave for the Cubs, we let him leave for free, and that is right. just like the worst gamesmanship possible. Like that's literally you're letting him go for nothing. It couldn't be worse than that. You're giving away something for free, and to see someone now in a you know, going to be playing a large role in the Padres organization, willing to, you know, more or less cheat. It's not, I mean, I would say cheat, but I'm not sure he was doing it vindictively, like thinking, you know, I am cheating, whatever. I think it was more of a competitive streak. Like, yeah, I'm going to do it this way. Well, you know, it's might be against the rules, maybe in, in someone's interpretation, but not mine. And so I think I can do it in the rules, you know, things like that. Anytime you're looking for any loopholes and doing anything you can, to add value to your organization, I want that guy. And I want that guy to be playing a large role. So I'm glad he's here. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, at some level he seems like he could become, like, that Bill Belichick type 
I'll do anything front yeah, office person. And the thing is, to be successful in the international world, I mean, it's all shady. Uh, if you just are going to be a rule, a rule follower, uh, you know, a policy stickler, you're not going to succeed there. And I think that's part of the reason he's been so successful. And we need someone like that. And and not just that. I kind of want to segue now. Um, speaking of international, so. His first big move here, he calls up Reimer Liriano. And Reimer Liriano, for those of you who don't know, uh, he's a young corner outfielder for the Padres. He was the 39th-ranked um, prospect in, in coming into 2013 on the Baseball Prospectus uh, prospect rankings. He wasn't ranked this year. He was coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, he is the first player from our Dominican Academy, started by John Moores, I think way back in 2007, to make it to the major leagues. So that is promising. That investment is finally paying off. And it's such ironic timing because we have this guy coming in with a background and, you know, he really rests his hat on his international, you know, record. And so I think this is just going to be, it's almost like shades of what's to come. I feel like it's, if you were to, you know, write a movie about how AJ Preller helped the Potters win the world series, you know, this would be a great, you know, foretelling of what's going to happen. Yeah, I, you know, as his first move, I, and you know, it doesn't take much to get the fan base excited, but I think the fan base is excited right now. Right, and he better play. He better be up here to play. He, you know, like, I, and I think a little bit of this is what you saw in the Ken Rosenthal article I'll, I'll link to here where Mike D was saying how if Bud Black wants to be around – He's going to have to kind of do what A.J. Preller wants, whether that's playing the young players or the veterans and whatnot. So I think although Buddy Black in his history hasn't really been very good at playing young players, I think now he might be forced to. And so well, and, you know, sometimes I'm not sure that that's just Buddy's decision. That could have been Josh Burns's organizational strategy, you know, to to not play them. You know, Buddy's job is to take direction from his bosses as well. So. You know, I, I don't think it's been reported either way, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of the influence on Buddy has become from above. Yeah, maybe at some level. But, I mean, the most blatant him not playing a young player, at least this year to me, is Yasmani Grandal. And that was like a Bud, uh, sorry, that was like a Josh Burns guy. So I'm not sure that's entirely true. Um, and to Bud's credit, he did play Jed Jerko a whole lot last year, although he didn't break camp with the team. Um, so... All in all, I would expect Liriano to play consistently, and if he doesn't, then Bud Black has to go. Just has I mean, to. who else are we going to throw out there at this point? You know, Quentin's out for the year pretty much. I'm not expecting him back at all. Uh, right. Well, well Maven can come off the uh, suspension. Right. And then you have an issue where you've got Will Venable that you need to get some playing time for. No, still. I, mean, I don't know if we do need to. Right, he just has guaranteed money for next season. And, look, unless they want to bring him back as a fourth outfielder earning a couple million dollars, you know, they've got to at least hope that he shows something here at the end of the year so they can get out from under that, at least in my opinion. So there are some areas where the bats could get taken away. I just hope they're taken away from guys uh, that aren't young players that are parts of the future. Oh, yeah, you know – well, and we don't have that many of them, so it's hard to take those at-bats away right now. All right. And, and as far as what to expect from Reimer Liriano, so uh, scouts have always been very bullish on his tools. If you go look at his stats, though, he's not 
he's not hitting for power really. Like he's high on base percentage. He was hitting astronomical at Salt Lake City or at geez, in, in, at El Paso in the PCL. Um, but no home runs. And it's kind of interesting because now he's going to come to Petco and whatever home runs he was hitting at AAA, you would say, well, that'll come down. But everything I read with him is promising in the sense that they think the power is actually going to come around. The question well, is – His batting practices are like storied experiences, aren't they? Like the power that he shows there? Well, yeah. if we're going to go off, you know – batting practice then Bobby Estiala, the old catcher for the Rockies has my vote every day of the week. <laughs> but I mean, it has to show up in games, right? Maybe he's Pedro Serrano and he can hit fastballs, but you know, if someone throws a breaking pitch to him in a certain count, he's never going to touch it. I mean, these, these are things that he's now going to have to develop at the major league level. And I'm just kind of worried about whether or not that's actually going to happen. And if it takes too long, our Padres fans going to become, you know, impatient with him, uh, kind of like they were Chase Headley. And then if he has one big year, will they say, oh, that's just a big year? So I'm really interested to see how this goes along because this is a guy I have personally followed since around the time he signed and there was promise around him in the low minor leagues and stuff like that. And it's just going to be interesting to track, once again, you know, the evolution of Padres' fan thought around him. And well, you know, he's making a big jump. You know, he wasn't in AAA that long. He was, he's basically a double-A player. The, you know, I'm, I think he's going to hold his own. I don't think he's going to wow anyone this year. Yeah, I think he will in the field. I think he's going to get some assists in the field, and it's going to wow people. But, uh, you know, I think Padres fans probably should temper expectations, at least for this year. Yeah, and again, like, he's not a finished product. He's just not, and... I think part of it is just hoping he's going to learn on the fly. And in the past, the Padres, I think, have done a poor job of bringing up players who might not be entirely developed. I think they oftentimes are too slow moving position players along. Um, so, I mean, you got a guy who's striking out over 20% of the time in the minor leagues this year, walking less than 10% of the time without a home run in AAA in a hitter's league. It's just interesting. It's just entirely backwards from the way they always do it. Right, yeah. Well, and, you know, it could be indicative of the, the new philosophy. So that could be a good thing. And the other interesting thing here is the Potters are playing well recently. And I say playing well. It's I know we touched on it, you know, in the last two podcasts. Do you want even want them to play well? And not only are they just, like, winning games right now, they're actually winning games because the players that you want to do well, because those are the guys that might be a part of the future, for example – um, Tyson Ross pitching well or Jed Jerko hitting the ball again. Those sort of things are the reasons why we're winning these games right now. And that is promising to me. And to bring them up now while the team's somewhat playing better and the clubhouse, you know, might be uh, a little bit more friendly than it was you know, prior to the trade deadline. I think that's nice too. Yeah, I think it's nice. And I think it's great. We're getting a chance to see and evaluate some of these players. You know, you mentioned, you know, there's Liriano, obviously, but there's other, you know, players that could be starters next year. I mean, we could have, you know, Yangervis Solarte as our third baseman next year. You know, I, I don't know. Could be second baseman. At some point, I think some of those other prospects are going to get called up. Um, and I think that having that, you know, little winning streak, you know, not losing every game with them is 
positive for their development as well. I, I think that hitting can be contagious sometimes. Um, I know it's a cliche, but it seems like that that's the case a lot of times. Yeah, uh, I mean, and you know, there's a lot of other players that I, I think are going to get calls, called up in September that I think could be pieces for next year. Um, you know, I've been waiting. I, I like Cody Decker. I, you know, I, he's hits well in AAA. I'd like to see him at least get a shot in the bigs and see if he can do anything with it. Um, you know, Taylor Lindsay is going to be nice up here. And I, I just think that the spirit that they have in the clubhouse right now, they seem to be playing with a little more energy and that might be a product of, you know, having younger players who are hungry, who haven't gotten a payday yet. I think it's just, sometimes it's a little more fun to watch, even if, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. It's certainly more entertaining and I'm starting to fall more on the side of, let them play and let them win right now. And, you know, draft choice will fall where, where it does, but because the way it's going now, I mean, I don't think we're looking at a top three draft pick anymore. So it doesn't yeah, really probably, matter to probably me. Probably not. You know, the difference well, between eight and 14 is not that big. Oh, but it is though. So if they end up with pick 12 or above, then their, uh, the pick is protected, meaning they can sign a free agent, uh, who's tied to compensation this off next off season, which is going to be every good free agent and not lose that first-round pick. Whereas if they pick after pick 12, so 13 and beyond, then they would have to forfeit that first-round pick if they were to sign a top free agent. Now, I'm not saying they're going to sign a top free agent. I think they should. And I think it's important for them to finish either in the playoffs or no worse than the 12th pick in the draft. Because if you're in the middle of those two, uh, that's just bad for development purposes, both because you can't add uh, add talent externally without giving up the draft pick, and because you have a worse draft pick too. And so as much as I want to say raw, raw, let's try to win this wild card, uh, it's really unrealistic. And I'd prefer for them to use the playing time to, as you said, you know, let Reimer Liriano play every day. Let Yasmani Grandal play every day. Bring up Cody Decker. Can, can he be a, you know, a bat off the bench even just to play a couple games at first base and to be a DH pinch hit, you know, do those sort of things. Like why not? He's 27 and a half. He's not going to get any younger. That's pretty much the prime of someone's career. Um, even someone like Corey Spangenberg playing center field now in double A. Uh, and why, why not give him a call up? Why not see if he can, you know, at least defend at a major league level and maybe give you a reason to move on from Cameron Maven or at least have like fake or real camp competition based on the fact that other guys have come up and proven they can play that position at least defensively at the major league level. So, um, as much as I want to say, yeah, go for the wild card, I think it's still, you know, long-term we have to be thinking, uh, you know, more than that. I think you have to use this time more wisely than, you know, chasing a very small chance at the fifth playoff spot, which is a road coin. I mean, we're, we're seven games out of that. We're eight games under 500. I, I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves based off a couple good series. Um, oh, right. I mean, wild card's also – much harder to jump the, that seven games than it, than it is within division just because there's more teams you're jumping in the process. You know, Yeah, we gained on the Pirates this weekend because we beat them, but uh, there's another like six teams between us and, and top of the wild card. So. Yeah, and, I, I, don't, and again, right, I, I, don't, I don't see the team. It's not like they're going to make a waiver trade to add a veteran at this point. I'm not too worried about that. No, of course not. But, I mean, they've got like, what, a 1% chance of winning the wild card? I'm just saying – I don't think we should be chasing the one percent chance at the wild card. Like I think that's no, like, I such think all, a small... all the focus needs to be on twenty fifteen. Right. I think all the focus needs to be on developing your young players, 
seeing what you have for 2015 and beyond, and making sure you get the 12th pick in the draft or better. Because if you don't do that, you're not signing anyone in the offseason, which might actually be what ownership wants. As, as horrible as that sounds, they might actually want to finish 13th so they have a built-in excuse why they didn't sign the top free agents uh, when they could really use more talent. But um, you know, that's what they have to be focusing on at this point, in my opinion. Yes, I saw you were really focusing on this issue on the uh, on the Twitter today, uh, oh, signing of a free agent. And I well, differ from you. I don't I don't think signing Scherzer or Lester is a positive long term for the team. I mean, I guess it is for next year and the year after, but uh, I don't see the value in signing a seven year contract with Max Max Scherzer. Um, Pitching is the one. Well, and the thing is, part of part of my thinking is that the free agent class, especially the position players, it's not that great next year. I mean, you have Pablo Sandoval. He's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I think I think we've covered this in previous ones, right? So, like, I don't think there's a bat they can sign in free agency. And, and actually, this is a question we'll get to later here in the podcast. I don't think there's an impact bat in free agency that will make them, you know, that is a legitimate cleanup hitter. However... You know, you can do more creative things. You can trade Tyson Ross. And I know that sounds that's like taboo right now, but you could trade Tyson Ross for a top bat, presumably. I mean, Tyson Ross is very cheap. He's controlled for several more seasons. He's pitching like a number two pitcher uh, in even a decent ro- decent to good rotation. You could trade him for a bat and then sign a Max Scherzer. And, you know, they need – I know you, you're not on the board with signing Max Scherzer. If you go look at his most – his largest comparables career-wise – I mean, he's striking out such a large percentage of batters that the most rec- that the most comparable players to him right now in his career are Roy Halladay, Kevin Brown, Rich Harden, which I guess is the bad one, and Randy Johnson. That is a pretty solid, con- like, you know, comparable list. A lot of those guys did pitch late into their careers successfully, so I am, you know, okay with them splurging if they're going to splurge on a top pitcher. Have it be one whose comparables are guys who ended up going long in their t- into their careers, like like a Roy Halladay, for example. So, I mean, who were and, Justin and, Ver- who were Justin Verlander's comparables two years ago, though? You know, you sign him to a long term contract, and you've got just you know a ten year, two hundred twenty million dollar contract. Uh, you know, now he's hurt, injured, not pitching that well this year. I just don't think that if you're going to spend, pitch- if you're going to spend, I don't think you spend on a on a pitcher. Especially right. the top pitchers I think, that are demanding nine, ten-year contracts. Well, here's the thing, though. I think Verlander and Scherzer are different styles of pitcher. For one, I think Scherzer actually has more. He, first of all, he strikes out a ton more batters per inning. Like, what, uh, something like Verlander ten, in his prime? Yeah, something like ten and a half is what Scherzer's averaged the past few years. And I think uh, Verlander only has maybe one season where he was over nine. So I mean, that's a, yeah. A, he had a ten point one. That was his two thousand nine. You know. Awesome. Yeah, so I mean, that's a they're not necessarily the same pitcher, and I think Verlander's always been reliant on even more elite speed than Scherzer, and so I'm I'm not sure. Like, look, uh, a lot of this is, you know, preface on the fact that the Padres need a legitimate number one ace if they want to win a World Series, and so how are they going to get that number one ace? You know, they're not. There doesn't look like there's anyone in the development system that is a number one. Max Fried, I don't even know if you can count on him to ever throw a major league inning. No, Matt Whistler looks so. Whistler looks nice, but he looks like a nice middle of the rotation guy. I don't think Tyson Ross will ever be Max Scherzer or you know any of the other elite arms in the major leagues. So then you have to start wondering, okay, where else can it come from? We don't really have much to trade to get a number one starter. I mean, I don't think we could have gotten David Price, for example. 
Um, and it would have only been for, you know, one more season because it seems like he wants to hit free agency. So the only way to do that and the only way to add this number one arm that you need to win a World Series would be to sign one of them. And I think you can do much worse than Max Scherzer just based on, uh, you know, historical comparisons. The fact that I don't think he's as as reliant on his top end speed. And I say that because his fastball has gone down one mile per hour and he's still striking out the same number of guys per inning. 10.2 this year, last year, 10.1. Um, he's practically unhittable. He's playing in the AL central coming to Petco will be great. Um, you know, people do hit fly balls, a lot of fly balls against him. So I think all that kind of goes, you know, if, if you had to pick one pitcher that you wanted the Potters assigned to a long-term deal at, at age 30, I mean, I can't think of a better one than him based on everything I just mentioned, the career comparables, I mean, yeah, if we could get him for five years, I'd be all for it. But he's going to want a 10-year contract. He's going to be 40 at the end of that contract. Do you really think he'll get 10 years? I mean, I don't... Verlander got 10. You know, they tend to leapfrog off of past contracts. I... Do you think he's going to... No, there's no way he's going to settle for six years. He's the top pitching uh, free agent this year. Right. I'm not saying it'll be six years, but, I mean, six years and 10 years, that's a large difference in contract i think you're looking at seven eight years and i think nowadays pitchers do pitch fairly well i mean barring catastrophic injury which is the case for any pitcher you know they do pitch fairly well into their mid to late 40s or 30s excuse me um so look i think you can do a lot worse than scherzer i think almost any pitcher in the free agent market would be a worse decision than scherzer so if there's ever a time to sign a top pitcher in free agency it would be this upcoming offseason where the only path to getting a legitimate bat would be to would be by trading one of your other pitchers. So I yeah I, I was all over Twitter on that today because it it really irks me when you know I the the conversation today was on Twitter was on um, there was a Padre fan who was saying that they were pumped for the offseason but couldn't really say why I, I would put it that way they. They didn't seem to think we'd sign a top player, blah, blah, blah. And anyways. Well, I mean, I'm with you. I think if something big's going to happen with a bat, it's going to be through a trade. It's not going to be a signing. And, I mean, I'm even looking here, and the players that I would want, you know, I like Milky Cabrera. He's a left fielder. I'm not sure that that's a position that they're going to sign. I like Mike Morse. I've said that before. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I think it's going to be either Cashner or Ross that they should be trading and trying to maximize value out of that. Uh, the whole strategy the past three to four years has been to accumulate pitching talent. Uh, and we hit on it last week. You know, Erlen, Wieland, Kelly, Lubke, you hope one of those will contribute at the major league level. Um, and that's the, I mean, I'm not going to call it a too strong but i mean supposedly that was the position of strength for our minor league system the past few years starting pitching so yeah at this point we've invested those years in it we may as well see what we get out of it um i mean that that, that's my opinion on it fair enough and let's talk about this more but let's talk about it in uh, our next segment here it's another new one so we're not going back to one of the ones we've done in the past this is an interactive segment where we reached out. We got some good questions on Twitter from fans that they wanted uh, answered. This is the mailbag. You've got mail. 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 You've got mail. Mail. You've got mail. Mail. You've got mail. Mail. 
so tying into what we just talked about, uh, this question, and I'm actually combining two questions here. Um, FirebudBlack06 uh, asked us, what big bat would you like to see the Padres target? What will a big bat cost? Uh, and then at Bill's is Daddy um, added, big fan of the podcast. Oh, thank you, Bill. As far as Preller goes, will he sign a bat like Yasmani Tomas, which is the Cuban kid we talked about last week, or Nick Markakis? Um what do you think, Jagoff? I hope it's not Nick Barcakis. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> me too. He's not I a mean, big bat. I, I said before I lived in D.C., and Nick Markakis, for a while, early in his career, people were talking about him and Brian Roberts possibly having a Hall of Fame career where they would just stay with Baltimore. And, uh, you know, especially Brian Roberts, they were pointing at comparables for him. Um, he's hitting – what is he hitting right now? I don't even need to get into the stats. I, I want them to go international. I like the Cuban signings, and that's the way that they're going to sign a big bat this year is, I think, international. Um, I'm looking at the, the, quote, big bats that are available on free agency, and Mike Morris, I think, is going to get re-signed by the Giants. Melky Cabrera is a good hitter. I don't know if you'd consider him a, a, quote, big bat. And then there's Nelson Cruz, who who I don't know. is he, I don't know if it's a fluke or what, but, um, you know, there's not, yeah. that much, there's not that much out there. Right, and I'll add Pablo Sandoval to the conversation and Hanley Ramirez as well, but none of those, I guess Pablo's sort of a big bat, but none of them have your prototypical middle-of-the-lineup production. You know, they're good yeah. They're good players to add if your World Series roster will have them hitting second or fifth or sixth or something, but, you know, if you're signing Pablo Sandoval, expecting him to hit 30 home runs at the cleanup spot in Petco, that's just stupid. Hey, what about Adam Dunn? He's a free agent. Yeah, he's interesting. Actually, I saw you know, him play first base in Washington. He's very awful, but yeah, if there's, he's going to be awful in defense at one position. Yeah, I'd probably pick first base. Right, and here's the thing: uh, everyone's been saying the National League's going to go to the designated hitter. Well, when is that going to happen? If that happens this next offseason, then maybe you could bring him in. And the reason I say that he might have success in Petco is because when Adam Dunn actually hits a home run, it he is a bomb. It. Yeah. And so. And I've been saying this for years. The type of hitter you don't you, that you want at Petco is not the guy who hits the ball into the gap because everyone who hits the ball into the gap is going to have equal success in Petco. It's the guys who hit those really long home runs that are unaltered at Petco Park because a home run at Petco is more valuable than a home run anywhere else. And so if you can get a guy that whose home runs are still home runs at Petco Park, that's the type of player you want. So if the designated hitter comes into play, I think you could you know justifiably make a one- or two-year play at him. I don't think he's going to get paid. Like he got paid last free agency. I don't see why anyone would do that at all. I also um, doubt that he would come to the National League and play the field again. I think he likes his. Um, right, that's what I'm saying. If the DH comes to the yeah. NL, you can sign him as the DH. Yeah. Like I, would, I do not advocate having him play anywhere on the field at all. I could probably deal with it. I could probably not, deal with it, actually. Not even for my softball team, to be honest. <laughs> what about pitching? He's got a good arm. I saw it. Got a killer slider. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> I don't know if you saw. Uh, I, I, did, I, I did see that. Uh, I I say it would be interesting because for years I've been saying uh, there's this lineup trick you can do where you can. Anyways, it's it's a long story. That's a story for another podcast. Okay, all right. Uh, so yeah, undoubtedly sign the Cuban. Do not sign Nick Markakis. Yeah, so I'm totally on board with the Osmani Toma. I'm not sure he's a uh, big bat per se, and that's because I don't think there are any big bats on the free agent market. I do still think they should, you know, at least 
pursue and talk to Pablo Sandoval because they don't have a third baseman. I don't think Solarte is a long-term solution at third or a winning solution. I would prefer to see all of Amarista's at-bats go to Solarte next year because I do think Solarte is a better hitter than Amarista. And anytime you're giving 400 at-bats to a guy with a 282 on on-base percentage, you know, it's nice to give that to someone doing a little bit better, which Solarte is. Um, so, you know, talk to Pablo Sandoval, uh, you know, see what Hanley Ramirez want. I mean, at least you got, you got to kick the tires on everyone. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I'd probably be more pro Sandoval than Hanley. I don't think Hanley can stay healthy long-term, especially over the term of a long-term contract. But, um, I mean, obviously he's more exciting, but. And and I'll throw another guy out there who's not a big bat, but might be a useful signing. And that's Jed Lowry, um, up in Oakland. He, the, the reason I say this is because Everett is probably going to leave in free agency soon. And then, you know, you got a giant hole over there at shortstop. And the thing with Lowry is so many extra base hits and an actual decent walk to strikeout ratio, which none of the Padres really have. And so you could add this guy who maybe could do a Mark Loretta impression a few years from now for, for a season or two. I mean, that's the only Padre I can think of that uh, Lowry reminds me of. But, yeah, as far as free agency goes, we, we've touched on this every podcast. It's The well's pretty dry. Right. And, again, we have an international, you know, someone who specializes in international signings. I'm thinking that that's the direction they're going to go in. And that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping. And I still think that there's value in – I mean, obviously, it's a little riskier. I'm not sure if statistically it's any riskier than the normal free agent market, but um, – you know, the, the payoff can be huge. And I, I think that honestly, I don't think they're going to sign a $200 million contract with Max Scherzer. I'm trying to be realistic, whether that, whether that's oh, right of the ownership or not. I, I just think that going after someone Cuban, going after some top Dominican prospects, that's the way to go, especially Cubans, because that doesn't fall within the, uh, the, uh, the international signing uh, limits, guidelines, whatever. Right. And, I think they could do both. To be, I mean, we, we've said this before. Their current payroll for 2015 is way below what it needs to be for it to match what it was this year to start the year or projected payroll this year to start the year. So, I mean, they can add a $20 million a year player and still be under that, that amount. They could add one and a half of those players and still come in pretty close to that uh, once you – even after considering, you know, arbitration raises and everything. Yeah, so you, you got to spend it on something. So right, so you know, if there ever was a time for them to do it, I think now would be the time to do it. So, and I'm not saying that because I think you know their championship window starts now. I'm saying it based on you know other things where if they wanted to at least try to compete next year, well, the only way to do that is free agency. Like, they're not gonna, you, you know, maybe they can do something like they did with Carlos Quentin, where they just kind of traded for someone's bad contract uh, and relieved them of some salary, you know, guarantees in exchange for basically nothing. Maybe they'll try to do that again. You would hope that they would have learned from the first time that that's not necessarily a winning formula, but maybe they'll go that way instead. I'm not sure who that is to target though. Um, I'm looking at the list and I, I don't see that kind of player out there. Yeah. I mean, the only name that comes to mind that is on such an awful contract that a team might want to trade them who used to be a big bad is Ryan Howard. And please God, do not give us Ryan oh, Howard. Please don't give us him. I'd rather I have mean, Adam Dunn playing first base. Oh, uh, like, 
Yeah, I, I just don't want that at all. Even if they took almost the entire contract, I would honestly rather see Tommy Medica be given a full season at first base over that. Yes, yes, I would as well. So please don't go old bat that you're hoping is going to snap out of it. If you're going to do something, make it legitimate. Um, all right. Uh, and then the other set of questions we got, I'm, I'm grouping these two together as well because they are pretty similar. Uh, this is from fire underscore bud underscore black. So we've got the whole fire bud black squad hitting up our mailbox. He asks, bigger problem, Mike D or bud black? And then Tim D. Hansen, he asks, how long does Preller let Bud Black stay? I think those are somewhat the same question. So uh, what do you think here? Bigger problem, Mike D. or Bud Black? I've openly not been a Mike D. fan. Um, it still hasn't been reported, and uh, not, you know Darren Smith didn't ask. Um, and the Padres didn't take my question last week about who A.J. Preller is reporting to, um, whether he is reporting to Mike D. as a direct supervisor or directly to ownership. Um, I believe Mike D being the head of baseball operations makes no sense from any standpoint to have someone who has no baseball operations experience and most recent long-term experience was in the NFL. Um, so assuming Preller's reporting to D, which I think he probably is after watching the press conferences and the interactions between them all, um, I think D is a bigger problem. I don't think managers actually affect too much on the field. Um, obviously, I like seeing younger guys being played. Um, but I, I have less issues with who Bud has been playing the last year to two years. Um, I think the players that should have been playing, the ones that were critical to the team, like Jed Jerko, were playing. And he, he stuck with them through some terrible slumps last year and this year. So, um yeah, so yeah, I'm. I'm obviously everyone points out, you know, the lineup's changing all the time, but his personnel is changing all the time. He's certainly not being given, you know, grade A personnel where you would want to keep things fixed. I think he's trying out of desperation to do something. And yeah, if he was I, doing and, nothing and throwing the same lineup out there, and we were hitting the way that we were, I think that everyone would be crying about uh, Bud's not doing anything. Uh, he's just sticking with this sad sack lineup when he should be trying something new. I, I think he can't win. Let me make a distinction here. So the question here is bigger problem. And then the second one is, do you think Bud Black should stay? And it's interesting because I don't think Bud Black should stay. Like, I don't think he's done anything to indicate that he can win in this environment. And I don't think manager does that much for a baseball team other than, you, you know, you keep the clubhouse somewhat in order. You set the lineup, you do a little bit of strategy here and there, but, Overall, it doesn't affect the gameplay that much. Um, and so while I don't think he should stay as manager because he's had a very long tenure here with li- literally no success to talk of, I still think he's a smaller problem than Mike D. And I don't even think Mike D necessarily is a problem yet. I just think, like you said, the, the, you know, the role that he's in has a much larger impact on the organization. And the fact that we don't know very much about Mike D and what he's going to do and um, his vision for the team, in my opinion, he still is a large enough question mark that he is potentially a larger problem than any manager you can have. Even a manager who was showing up drunk, hitting the pitcher first. Like, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that hard to replace, right? You just get rid of him. Right. And and at the higher level, it's so much, you know, it, it affects so much of the organization from fan experience 
to, you know, uh, even things that fans disproportionately care about, like uniforms, um, how the team broadcasts are, all the way down to baseball operations. All of that falls under Mike D, it appears. And so there's just like a large (laughs) – there's just such a – even if there was only a 1% chance that Mike D was bad at his job, that is still a bigger problem than a bad manager. Right. Well, and I was in – you hit on it, uh, you know, as someone that goes to a lot of games. He affects my, uh, my you know, hours of, exp- of t- time that I invest going to games and stuff also. So for me, he certainly has a bigger impact on my life than Bud Black does. Um, and – and, and like you're about- saying, you know, is there's things off the field too. You know, they're announcing today. They they have a you know a post game concert with OAR. I think September 20th. Um, you know, they've got to do something to excite people, and it's you know small things like that that can actually impact you know attendance, which can hopefully affect payroll someday. But you know, he just touches a lot of things. He touches everything. Exactly. Hopefully not and- baseball operations, but he probably touches that also. And I think it'd be fair to say that I'm a student of our history at the CEO position and team president and what have you, this giant umbrella that Mike D sort of falls under right now. As far as where he places, like, on that chart, he's not the worst. Like, he hasn't done anything that's been blatantly wrong yet as far as if you look at something like, you know, uh, previous team presidents saying we want these players to be here, and then they're not there. And things like that. He hasn't done that. And I think a lot of that is because, as you said, and as I'll touch on in Wednesday's article, he does speak in platitudes. And I do prefer that over speaking in lies. But at the same time, it means we don't know very much about him. And so it just means he's still a question mark at this point because he hasn't been around long enough to prove, prove himself one way or the other. Yeah, you know, it, there hasn't been much time. You know, it's been one season. Um I don't love him. I don't like a lot of the marketing, you know, stuff that they've done. But you know, honestly, he touches everything. And to answer the original question, he he can do way more damage to the team. You know, you look at some of the past presidents, Garfinkel, Alderson, they did tremendous damage to the team. You know, they're affecting everything: minor league development, drafts, um, ballpark experience. So, um, you know, exactly. So- as much as people want to complain about Bud Black, he's he's impacting the game, plus or minus one or two wins a season. Yeah, so actually, to directly answer the question, I, I feel like what you and I both said Mike D for bigger problem or potential problem. Uh, and I already answered the second one. I don't think Bud Black should stay. What is your – I don't – I don't know. I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I actually think he will stay. I think Preller is going to keep him. I, really? do, I do buy all the talk about how well-respected he is, how if he were fired, he'd be hired very quickly after – and, but but that just means they should trade him. I mean, they have him under contract for next year. Like, if you don't want him and you don't There's think that's really matters. dying for them to hire that I think is going to be better. Um, but just hire anyone. Like, I, it doesn't matter. I, I just don't think it matters. And I, I honestly do think you say he, did, he didn't win. It's true. You know, obviously he doesn't have the greatest lifetime record. But he has done more with some teams than I've expected. And he's not the one – you know, signing people to contracts. He's not the one choosing who's in the lineup. Right, but he is the manager. Him, you give him garbage, he's going to, you know, you can only do so much with it. I totally agree with that, but at the same time, he was the manager for the Padres team that blew it down the stretch in, I think, 2007 and then lost game 163. 
He was the manager that lost 10 games in 2010 in a row in the middle of that pennant race with you really the Giants. You really blame him, though? You know, you, no, you, I'm not. You I'm your Hall of Fame closer out there against Tony Gwynn Jr., and he beats well, you with a triple. You know, that's yeah, not, well, what other managerial decision did you want out of him? Well, he didn't pitch Jake Peavy in one of those final games where, you know, the, if they would have beaten the Brewers, they were in. So, uh, he was a notorious choke artist. He produced nothing in the playoffs, nothing in any game that was substantial for the team. Yeah, but he only – I mean, how many times has he thrown in those games? It's like a small sample size to me still. But, I mean, had he thrown PV in those games, first of all, you know, if they make the playoffs, then PV gets to throw sooner in the postseason series. And whereas the other scenario, if they lose and PV has to pitch game 163 – well, then now he's pitching game three of the NLDS, and you don't get to throw him twice in that series. So, like, I think that was a managerial blunder, and I don't think that's the reason they didn't make the playoffs necessarily, but I still think that hurt their overall odds of winning the World Series that year. And, you know, with, in the absence of very many good teams, you kind of have to judge it on these small things that he didn't do in the few chances he's had with a decent roster. And I think those rosters back in – when he first took over, were okay. They weren't bad rosters. He had Brian Giles with a 400 on base percentage. He did have, you know, Adrian Gonzalez and a little bit of power there. He had a frontline starting pitcher. I mean, I don't think – I mean, now it's easy to say his team sucks because it does. But I think when he first started, he actually did have a little talent, and he didn't get as much out of it as maybe Bud Black now would. And I think part of it is, you know, eight years, the team is – not made the playoffs. Every other team in the division has won a, a series in the playoffs, let alone made the playoffs. I think it's time to move on from him. Um, speaking of time to move on, unfortunately, we do have to cut it short this week. Um, there are baby things to deal with and uh, <laughs> other real-life situations. But we will be back next week again for another podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Uh, and feel free to subscribe on iTunes. It is now up and working. Yes, very uh, exciting. Yeah, me Some too. questions also. Yeah, we, we're going to do this more often. So, all right. I'm trying to get a guest, too. I feel like I got an in with, uh, with Jesse Agler now. I think we could possibly bring him on. Team Shill, Jesse Hagler. I already have a guest lined up. I've been Ooh. keeping it a surprise from you, but uh, you will be uh, happy. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. All right. Uh, until next time, guys, go Padres. Go Padres. <laughs>